Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Michigan Avenue Media and the World of Ink Network. This podcast was founded in 2011 by Marsha Casper Cook and Virginia Grenier. Their focus has always been on helping writers reach their dreams by having informative and entertaining shows. You will also hear the latest information on what's new and exciting in the publishing and marketing industry. And the shows will also cover discussions on screenwriting, audiobooks and movies. New to the shows will be the latest style and trends in fashion, as well as nutrition and how Pinterest can add just the right spark of attention you may need for your projects. So, sit back and relax and enjoy the show. You can find out more information about our shows and being a guest at www.michiganavenuemedia.com. Hi, everybody. It's Marcia Cook, and uh, we're going to have a great show today. And I am going to sit back and relax because Jack Remick is on. So when Jack is on, I can sit back and know that he's going hold a discussion that is completely different than we even talked about. So Jack is here and Meredith Rickenmills and um, I met Meredith through Jack. And so we're going to have a great show, but just a couple of announcements. Uh, we have a show on tomorrow with uh, Leanne and uh, Bennett is on the show. So that will be, uh, well, it's actually it's Bennett's show, sorry, <laughs> not my show. She's on the network, but it's not my show. But Leanne Sotomayor, and she's very good, and it'll be a great show. And um, if you haven't listened to Bennett's shows, they're really good guests. A lot of them I'll be having on soon. They're so interesting, and it's a lot of fun. And um, I have just one announcement. Please wear masks. I'm not going to get into a lot of it. Maybe Jack will. We'll see how that goes. But honestly, (laughs) you need to wear masks. If there's one thing you do in the morning, Get your mask ready wherever you're going. And hopefully the places that you go to won't allow you to go in without a mask. And that's that's what my big thing is, wear masks. Even if you don't like to wear a mask, it's just really, really important. And so now we're going to have some shows. I haven't uh, been off for a month. I was supposed to finish my book, but that never happened. Uh, I'm trying to concentrate. I'm working it out. <laughs> I do concentrate. But uh, I'm sure most of you or a lot of you are having issues like that. So um, just keep going. You know, on the days that I don't think that I can write, I just sit down and I'm making myself, and I will finish this book. If it kills me, it just might do that, but I am going to do this because I said, and then I have a lot of others. I'm going to write a children's book. I have a lot of things in my mind, and I'm going to finish them. But I never had this problem before, but I do now. So if you have that problem, just work through it because we can do this. And so I'm going to let Meredith come out first, and Meredith can just talk a little bit about what she does. And um, if you've seen Jack Remick's new book covers, they're really, really beautiful, especially his new book, Maxine, and Meredith is the artist. So, Meredith, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you so much, Marsha. I'm really happy to be with you. I'm so happy. I'm happy that you know, we talked, uh, you know, ourselves on the conversation. And so I want you to just tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Your artwork is really terrific, and the covers look beautiful. So tell everybody about yourself. Well, thank you. Um, well, uh, the last few years I've been focused on my art, and um, <clears throat> it's become my discipline and also my refuge. 
So when I met Jack and he invited me to submit a, a cover for one of his books, it was just a wonderful opportunity. And especially because I loved the book, as he was writing it, he would send me little bits and pieces of it. And it was so vivid. And his word images, you know, he, they're very strong. So they instantly set fire to my imagination. And one of the things about Maxine's cover that I love is that it was very collaborative. Jack will say he doesn't know about art, but he does. <laughs> and yeah. he made some really, some really key um, suggestions. So that cover was, you know, we both did that. Yeah, it's really, it's it's beautiful. It's bright and it's a it's so uh, unique. I mean, it really is great. Well, one of the things I learned when I for a while I was building virtual reality worlds, and um, it, that was so much fun because you would like do a piece of art and then get to go inside of it. And and I yeah. love that. And I brought back with me this desire to have my art be able to view things from different angles in the same image. And now, Jack, you have a name for that. It was like taking some of the elements of your book and what did you call it? Indexing or something? Yeah, well, I kind of some of those things slip my mind, you know, like most writers, I say stuff, I have no idea what I mean. But, <laughs> That's right, you have to write notes, you got to write in, notes in on everything. Yeah, in that particular case, what I saw you doing was <laughs> somehow taking the images that are rendered in words and then translating them into graphic or visual images. And I, I, I was so intrigued by that because... That's as close as I've ever worked with a book designer or a cover designer. So the the multiple perspective thing was something that I was I have notes down to say. Can you elaborate on what you mean by multiple perspectives and each vantage point? Because you bring in well in the single. Well, let me back up and say first of all, what I really like about the Maxine cover is it is not an illustration. It's a work in its own right that has elements that you can see moving around. And somehow you manage to take many, many pages of the book and reduce them to single images. And so to me that's really something I I, I enjoyed so much working with you on it, which gets me to a question. But first, Jack, to explain to everybody who you are, Jack, yeah, just tell everybody a little bit about yourself, and then we can oh, go there. I just okay. want you to tell everybody. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, no, no. I'm, so I'm so interested in Meredith's mind. I'm so interested in Meredith's mind. Well, because it, it okay. really is an incredible, it, it's, you know what, to work like that collaboratively is really, it's, it's such an interesting cover, so we can go into that, but I would just tell everybody a little bit about yourself, because there's, actually there's so much about yourself uh, that okay. uh, um, people love. Uh, go ahead. Okay, I'm a, I'm a writer, a poet, short story writer. I've done some screenplays. I'd like to get to your latest screenplay, too, a bit, Marcia. But I've published a bunch of novels with Coffee Town Press and with Quartet Global, and I wrote a How to Write a Mystery with Robert Ray, which is still working around. I wrote Gabriella, um, which is a standalone, and Blood, which is another one. 
And interestingly enough, during the isolation that we've been in, I was able to complete two companion novels to Blood that tell sort of the same story but from different perspectives without being the same story. Um, I've uh, worked with a number of other writers through time. My big influences were in poetry really early on when I met a poet named Jack Moody who had together a book called Weather of the Mind. And then I met Tom Gunn in Berkeley when I was a student there, and he became a very close mentor of mine. And one of the big things that he said to me, I was writing a lot of poetry, but although it was kind of derivative, and he stopped me one day after reading some stuff, and he said, Jack, you know, Where did Jack go? I don't know. Jack? Oh. I think Jack, Jack, what? Hello? <laughs> Jack? No, he's not. He must have gone. I don't know. All right. Well, he dropped off. Oh, my yeah, goodness. We don't want to look. Jack. Jack is... No, we're not. He'll call, he'll call back in. Okay. Uh, okay. I think somebody else is on the phone, but I'm not sure what happened here. Okay. All right. Well, you know... When Jack came to you, yeah, I mean, you you knew him before, right? Or you just knew him right when well, you were Well, I haven't couple. known Jack for very long. I met him um, on Facebook, you know. I, he said something interesting, and we have friends in common. And so we got talking. And, yeah. you know, I just found him to be as you find him to be, which is interesting at all times. It's so unbelievable. Yes. Yeah. And you never know what he. I mean, he does have a lot of hidden talents that occasionally slips out, you know. And so, and it's such an interesting way to meet people on Facebook where you've not met before, but then they become your friends, and you are. And for years, I've known him, and so he's introduced me to a lot of different people, and he's been on the show a lot. I think. Yeah. Uh huh. <clears throat> well, what really impressed me? I read Jack, your book, Jack? Gabriella. Are you back? Jack? Uh, yeah, I, somehow I got yeah, lost. Yeah, this is live. Look, this is live. This is a live show. This is for sure. Okay, we were just talking about when Meredith met you, you know, and um, that's where we were. And just Didn't briefly, I want to say ahead. that I, I read his book, Gabriella, and I was blown away. I, I love that book. I think that's a, a most remarkable book. And so I was instantly intrigued with everything he had written and started reading and now it's your turn, Jack. Welcome back. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, the thing about it is is that when, when a man can write about a woman in such detail, it's very interesting. You know, yes. uh, how, I mean, these are detailed, descriptive books are incredible. You know, and well, Jack, I have to, you know, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, yes. Meredith. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, so no, go ahead. Go ahead. From, okay, well, I was just thinking about the images that he draws and how strong and clear and sharp they are. And so it was just, you know, the idea of being able to uh, reify those, to bring them to life was such a delight. And it's just been really fun. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, and did well, bring them to life. I have a theory you know, about and, writing that uh, you know, stories are told with action and image, and that's, that's really a, a concept that comes out of the screenwriting world, Marsha. You know that so well. Yes. So what the writer yes. has to do is create the image so that it stands by itself at the same mm-hmm. time connected to the other images so that the, 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 the artist then, as Meredith has done, is take bits from those strings of images and put them together in a single narrative that is, that is its own. And uh, going back to, to Maxine, that's exactly what she did, which is incredibly difficult to do because the writer doesn't want the book to be illustrated. The writer wants, to tell, wants the images to tell their own story. And I, I just love the way that she, that Meredith found Maxine and put her in the pool with the red hair because what she did was pick up my sort of unconscious thing. Of, the whole book is built on fire and water, and she picked that up so beautifully that I, I just was astounded when I saw it. I knew immediately that, because they, they, that was what it was. And that's really why, that's one of the reasons why, you know, years ago I didn't think is. Uh, that covers were as important as I do many years later now, because there are you're in you're out there with exposed to millions of other writers on Amazon, on Kobo, on you know everywhere, and you have to have that cover that will make them that if they don't like the cover, they don't even read some of the you know the description, which kind of is sad in a lot of ways too, because sometimes a cover isn't that explicit but it still is a good cover but i for me now i'm i'm getting it where i definitely understand how much a cover really means and especially when in, in your case this is so bright and it's very different than your other covers right. so i you know right. which makes it stand out so you know and i think that as writers we want that but sometimes we don't know how to get that Right. You know, and you see, as, I think as that, far as that. Yeah, but but Meredith, Meredith did a work of art in its own right. I mean, she can yes. pull that cover off and frame it without the lettering, and and it's there. It's it's, it's just a picture, right? It'll be beautiful, beautiful. right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 The images. Well, it's really, and I think that's a really good. Thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think so, Meredith. I wanted. Are you? Are you did another cover for Jack and another? You know. So are you looking for clients to do covers with, or are you not going to be in that part of writing? Or even oh, well, you know what? Art? I've discovered that the art that I do with um, computer graphics is ideal yes. for making covers. <laughs> yes. And I had never yeah. thought of it until Jack brought it up. And I am now that I've started doing this, I love it, and I would love to do more. Oh, good, that's good. Okay. Um, right. Although that's not good. every, good to know. yeah, not every book is like Jack's, though, because you see, he uses symbolism and metaphor, which sort of call yes. to my deeper, my deeper self yeah. when I'm doing something. So, you know, having having an author that is that inspiring, I don't know how often that happens, but sure, I'd love to do more covers. Yeah, well, Jack, yeah. Jack you well, is I unique. Jack, you are yeah, Jack, yeah. you are different than the other writers. But I do think that your screenwriting uh, has changed. When you did screenplays, do you think that changes an author 
and makes them, oh, God, you yeah. know, see the oh, story yeah. more. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that, well, let's just talk for a minute about your last, uh, the one that I just read, and I've well, forgotten. Right. I, wrote it, I wrote it several years ago, and I just, and I didn't know, you know, I didn't really market it too much. Um, I I thought it was a little intense at the time, and uh, now that's why I asked you to read it. I, I don't really always ask people to read my, you know, because they were read. You know, I when I used to be a literary agent, my sketch went out also. And I think when you, you know, when you're writing them, um, I think for me, you know, sometimes parts of you come in and out. And you told me something that has really got in my head a lot. Don't be afraid. Just let it go. And I think for authors, this is hard. You seem to be able to do well, this really let me well. Tell you that really you, well. What you were doing it. What you were doing in that last book was in fact, or that last screenplay, I don't know how to say this except that you were channeling the future because everything that's in that screenplay, which you wrote a few years ago, is in the culture right now. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the right-wing militants, you know, the, 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 the anti-Semitism, the racism, all of those things, yeah. and how you were able to incorporate that in your thinking at that time with an immediacy that's felt in this culture today, it's really amazing, Marcia. When I read it, I suggest you. you know, I, you know, it's very, it's very different that, when you talk about it. When you talk about it, it sounds like you know, it's called something happened here. And I should briefly say a little bit about it. That uh, I wrote it short, um, a few years after I wrote to life, which is about the Holocaust survivor, uh, Sarah Lewis, who passed away a couple of years ago, and it wasn't about Sarah in the screenplay. But it was because of her that I wrote it, because I learned so much from her. And so I tried to put it in a story that wasn't about the Holocaust. It was about her memories of the Holocaust and young adults trying to get through a situation where they were friendly and they were from opposite sides of the world. And as we should say at that point, one brother was a neo-Nazi and one was a young boy who was just going to have a bar mitzvah and he was at a certain age and they had moved to an area where anti-Semitism was predominant and they didn't realize it. So, you know, it was intense. Illinois Illinois has had that problem for quite a while, but you, you nailed it so clearly. You know, and I don't know where you got the language for the the Nazi head speakers. Uh, I don't know where you got that. If you made it up. Well, I did. I, I actually researched that. And I, I think I told you when I talked to you after we talked about it, I researched it at the library years ago because um, I was in a lot of different sites that I was kind of, you know, not wanting to be in, you know, because I wasn't sure about it. So I read book after book about this so I could get the exact way that they talked because it is difficult. In those years, it was harder for me to push out swearing. I, you know, I've over the years, as you know, I have learned how to do that, and I have, you know, but I did have trouble with that, you know, a lot of swearing at the beginning of my career. But now it's it's just second nature. But it was hard. It was hard. So I went and studied it. Give it. <laughs> Given the political situation, it's hard not to get scatological. Well, you know, that's why I, bring, I, you know, that's why I think movies like that will be 
good eventually. So I think people, when they can make movies again, you know, it is about things that possibly, which I didn't really think could happen, that are happening now. You know, it was fiction, but now it's happening. So it's, you know, I think COVID-19 has brought out a lot more than we think in people. You know, everything that's gone around in this last, you know, six, eight months, what we're seeing in beside illness, it's just, it's not a pretty picture. It's laying all bare. I have a question for Meredith here, Meredith. Yeah. Do you see see your images as reflecting the times or reflecting some deeper thing in your psyche or your consciousness? Well, I'd like to hope that they are reflecting the depth of the book that I'm referencing, which, you know, when it's your work, I find that there's a lot there. So I have a whole lot to work with. You know, it's all about having good material, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Imagery, right. You don't, uh, you know, you you have a whole uh, inventory of images that are sometimes explosive, sometimes fiery, sometimes icy. So when you when you create an image like that that's not directed specifically, say, at a book cover, you know, how does uh-huh. it work? Does your hand just float on the screen, on the mouse? How do you generate something like that? I mean, this is a creative process that is alien to me, although I do it with words. I, I need to see how your mind is working in, in, to generate that image Okay, that's my question. (laughs) (laughs) Is that all? (laughs) The the thing is that it's just like you trying to describe where all your words come from. It's what I do is when I'm looking at, when I'm, it's like a co-creation between the computer and my mind. And it's like, I can take an idea and cross it with another idea and layer it with a third idea. And where those things come from, I don't know how to describe, Jack. I really don't. Okay. okay. What, what did you well, do you know, before like the computer? Did you do, artists, how did you, know. you do artwork? How she did artwork before the digital computer? Oh, well, you know, I... I actually didn't do as much art. I did other creative things. I like um built a house once and designed a house and built it. Well, but uh, well that, that's <laughs> kind of a big deal. That's kind of a big deal. It was. That's but, you know, it anything. helped me understand it helped me understand the discipline of it. But it really wasn't until I could combine my photography, which I always enjoy, with this mm-hmm. ability to um, layer and merge and and fuse and um, do all these marvelous things that Photoshop allows a person to do. I, I really it's so beautiful. It's, it's yeah, sort of, the work is beautiful. Thank you so much for saying so. I love doing it. Meredith, it's extremely Meredith, so satisfying. Do you, do you think that the technology has changed not necessarily your ability to think, but your ability to extrapolate the thoughts? Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Oh, you're so smart. See, 
That's exactly right. <laughs> I haven't put it like that <laughs> in my own mind. But, yes, that's exactly what's happened. It has enabled me to do something entirely different than I could ever do with paint or or anything else. Yeah. Jack, I want to ask you about the cover. Well. I wanted to ask you the name. I wanted to ask you about how you that why you decided to just use I mean I like when it's a name. So why did you choose just to do it Maxine as the title? Oh of Maxine? Yes. Uh, well, okay, there I'll have to tell you some of the story in order to get you to how I got the name. Okay. Well, I, I've started First to read all, it, but I'm just trying to, yeah, because a lot of times people can't pick a title out that really fits it, and she does fit this, but, you know, well, it's, thing, it's, see, I, never, I like the I title. never start with a name. I start with an archetype. So the original images that gave me, and I think Meredith has seen these, I saw this woman in a swimming pool, and she had red hair, mm-hmm. and that was it. She didn't have mm-hmm. a name. I saw a guy coming to her with a box full of marble examples that she he, she was going to make remake her kitchen. So I now got two archetypes working, and suddenly I came up with this red-haired woman in the water in a bikini in a in a big house with marble, and I thought, wow! Suddenly the name Maxine popped up, and mm-hmm. it's like Meredith is talking. Wow. You take all these elements from different perspectives, fuse them, mm-hmm. and something else comes out. And what came yes. out was her name. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. And it just well, Gabriella was her name as well. Yes. Yes. Gabriella. Yeah. And yes. I thought that we're both exactly yeah. right. I like that. I, I like that when you're using the name. I, I do like that. You know, I think people remember that easier than they remember some title of a book because I think, you know, like in a movie. You can remember, like, The Godfather, you know, Goodfellas, uh-huh. you know. Remember those type of names. But sometimes you go, mm-hmm. what was that name? What was that name again? And if you're like <laughs> me, it, I will figure out the name if it takes me two hours. i got to go through the alphabet and go through it. But, you know, if, <laughs> but when you have a name, you just don't usually forget the title of them, right. whatever the project is. Yeah. Well, you know, I I like to think in 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 the world of writing and even in painting that the title is the most highly compressed version of the story. Uh-huh. You know, if you take if you take uh-huh. Maxine, or yeah. Maxine, she lives with Charlie. She meets Burl. Charlie wants this thing. Burl offers her something else. So it, it's almost like the name is the beginning of a tree of extrapolations that you can then use to find a complete story. Because and with Gabriella, it's the same way. The image of Gabriella first came in the sentence, the year the war ended, Gabriella led her sick mother down off the mountain. Boom, the whole story's yeah. right there. Yes. Yeah. So if, title, yeah. if the title is the most highly compressed version of the story, and if the title is askew or off-center or a kilter from the storyline, it won't work. You know, it just doesn't work. That's my theory anyway. You know, no, that's a good one. Because I think it is difficult for people, you know, because naturally the people listening to the show, I mean, the title and the book cover, you know, it matters. And, you know, and that's why a lot of times people do change covers because along the way they realize that, 
this wasn't making it and people aren't looking at it, you know, and because when you're in competition, like I said before, looking through Amazon, and that's what a lot of people do, you, uh, Maxine, you will not miss that cover. It won't get, like, it won't get pushed to the side. That's a cover that you will remember. That's how important it is, I think. You know, I I did uh, Falcon, excuse me, doubles in a game of chance a few years ago, and I put on kind of a generic cover. It wasn't anything special. Meredith looked at the book. It is now, I know. Parents yeah. there now, and I wow, she really yeah. understood the the complexity of the interior of that story. So when you look at those Escheresque cubes on the front, you know, that's the way that that archival structure is. I mean, she just pulled that out of there, but it's not an illustration. It's an index to the complexity that resides in the words. And so the same thing with that cup that contains the the dice. You know, that's the opening image of doubles in a game of chance. The officers were playing their game of chance, rolling the dice, and Dalton listens to it. So you've got to right away the polarity of Dalton, who's the lower and the military, who's the upper, and between them there's this game of chance. And the doubles goes all the way to the end when Dalton discovers that the guy who's following him has, in fact, been himself. I mean, it's pretty, <laughs> sorry, it gets kind of... Well, I think, no, but I think, no, because I think, that, I think that, you know, when people, you know, a lot of times, you know, as authors go, I mean, you... You sometimes, if you're working with an illustrator or you're picking a picture, you know, even if I've done something where I'm looking up a picture, it could take me, I could look through like thousands of them till all of a sudden one, this is it, and the others just aren't, you know. And like when you have an illustrator that, I mean, Mikey Brooks has done, I redid my children's books, and when Mikey Brooks, the illustrator, he he read the book and he made the first little witch and then there were all these witches that were 13 and he made them all individual but he saw what I saw and that's mm-hmm. what's incredible about somebody when you're working with if they see what you see then you're okay if they don't see what you mm-hmm. see it, yeah. you just can't exactly. it, it just well, doesn't work well, Marcia, yeah, you, you, you have had Dennis, on, Dennis Must on your show yes. yes and he has connected with an artist named Russ Spitkovsky, and Russ Spitkovsky has read Dennis Must's mind far more than he's read the books, but the illustrations that he come with comes out with, I, I say illustrations, the images that he comes out with right. are pulled directly out of, out of Must's mind, and, and they're not illustrations. I mean, they're something far more powerful, and I think that's the value of an... Well, Bob Ray says never work with anybody who knows less than you do. Well, that sort of takes care of teaching, right? But in creating your own <laughs> critique work, you know, work, work with people who know at least as much as you do so that their comments are objective or structural or integral to the study of the object itself rather than their subjective, oh, I, I really like that. I don't give a damn if you like it. What do you see? You know, let's... Yeah, because what you see in it, okay, but this is very important because people are on my show all the time, and we talk about this, Jack, about what they see and what they don't see, and, you know, if you work with people that are not, 
experienced, this mm-hmm. can ruin your career because yep. they. I know people that they send their books out to beta. I, I I don't like beta readers, and I just feel like I if it's going to be someone that's going to look at my work, it's going to be someone like you. Let's just say that has all the respect and that can put words together beautifully. You don't want somebody next door to read your book and tell you, oh, I think this is wrong or I think this is right. I mean, this is not good for the author. This really screws up the author's mind. I mean, I have never been one to do that. And people on my show, they all, they like beta readers, you know, and I do not feel that that's a good way to go by going to somebody that just well, doesn't have know, the experience. The, yeah, going back to that C thing in, in art, I have, I have two concepts that I work with, actually, I mean, consciously all the time. One is that since the beginning of art, since the cave paintings, human beings have been looking for a way to turn to get art to move. And if you look at Baroque sculpture, you look at Baroque painting, you look at Hindu sculpture, the bodies are moving. They're, you know, they're sinuous. There's an intimation of movement. Even the veils that are chiseled into the marble statues of Greek statues, they're in motion. The wind might be blowing them. So this whole idea of art in motion has driven culture for you know, 30,000 years. The pinnacle yep. is the screenplay, the movie. Now, the second thing that it relates to this is what I learned from Jack Moody, my, my poet buddy, years ago. Um, and John Verrill, my composer friend, one day I was playing some music for him. By, I forget what it was. The Lebec sisters were doing something. And John is a composer, pianist, you know, conductor, theosophist thinker. And I said, well, John, what do you think? And he sat there for a moment and he said, well, they're like all the young technicians today. They play all the notes and none of the music. Um, I think yeah. Poets today, most poets, most readers, when you, when you say, what do you see? They read the words. Well, the words are just a cover for that deep emotional thing that you've got going that forced you yeah. to write the yeah. thing in the first place. So if they yeah. just are seeing words, they're missing it. And this is going to connect all this back to Meredith. She went past the words into the stuff, that maelstrom of fear and anger and lust and coercion that's yeah. underneath those words. That drive, and she well, you know, I, I had a, an advantage because my dad was a writer. And oh, he, he okay. didn't, yeah. he, he published <laughs> yeah. several novels. And he never had anything to say about his covers, you know. They would be presented to him by his publishers. And I remember how he would react to covers that he thought missed the point altogether, but he didn't yeah, really have right. a choice. Yeah. And so yeah. I, having lived with someone whose life revolved around writing and the discipline of writing and the constant practice and just yeah. being completely involved in writing helped me perhaps to look beyond just, oh, here's another story. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because that's right. Because they right because a lot of times you look at a cover and then you just look at it and you go, well, this is like almost nothing. It doesn't bring you any images. It doesn't have anything to offer, you know. And so this is unfortunately what happens a lot of times, and uh, that's why the cover does mean a lot. 
You know, I guess mm-hmm. beginning people are thinking, you know, the title, the cover, and the artwork, that matters because that is your picture at the beginning. If you don't see it, then you read the book. Maybe you'll be, Sometimes they, the people are reading a book for a cover, and then the book has nothing to do with what they were looking right. for. <laughs> right. <laughs> that is, right, and that is bad. You know, so I think, you know, and that's what happens with reviews on Amazon. You know, Jack has mentioned this many times, and um, – I always say this if when Jack is on the show or not on the show. Jack once said one thing. If you get a review and somebody doesn't like your book, that isn't going to make you redo your book. It's there. That's it. You know, and some people <laughs> well, are reviewing it just for the yeah. hell of it. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. You know you said that because I always I'm repeating it because it's stuck in my mind so much about reviews because – if they don't like your book, okay, fine. They don't like it, but I like you're not going to rewrite it because somebody doesn't like it. The same way, if you have a beta reader who doesn't like the style you have or doesn't like or doesn't read that genre, then what is that going to do for you? Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. It's going to get you off the track of what you really wanted to say. Well, that gets to my notion about the the function of critique in the minds of most people or most writers is to disembowel the competition. If you can make that person hurt so much that they won't write another word, then their book That's never terrible. gets into competition with you. So there's Good a example. biological foundation to, to yeah, critique, yeah. and it ain't pretty, you know. Yeah, that's Ooh. not right. And that is that is a sad thing to think about, you know. Yeah. And I do know some people that have given up writing because they got a bad review, and that is bad. Yeah, mm. Sure. I always feel yeah. sad about that because that's ridiculous. You know. Well, let's look at um, look at some of the things Marsha the Marsha that Meredith does. She and I work with a group called Third Sunday and she puts stuff up on a screen so we can share it and because the group is not vindictive or cruel or something they see what's there and often right. telling Mar- Meredith what they see she's able to see something else and so modifies the image. Well, to me, yeah. that's creative. That is yeah. not critique destructive. That is creative critique. Saying, oh, okay. Yeah, that's so collaboration. No, that is, that is right. And, you know, years ago I used to go to a workshop. Or every, every Thursday I would go to a workshop and it would be office, okay? And then there would be critiquing. And I always thought, and then we, they have authors come once up forever, the whole month there would be different speaking on different things. And then they would, some people would trash these, some of the work so badly, I just couldn't believe it. I'm thinking, they're not, some of them that weren't even writers, they were just coming to listen. And I thought to myself, this is so horrifying that somebody yep. that doesn't even want to, they don't know why they're even there, and they're critiquing somebody who's sitting there about their work and they may never again write because somebody that was very inexperienced or didn't care wrote said something so nasty that would stop them from ever doing anything creative again, which is so sad. But there are people yeah. out there. You're right. It's for the bad. Yeah, it's well, you know, terrible. In the, the third, the third Sunday group that we that we are are in, uh, all of these people are accomplished artists in their own right. They've all done marvelous things. And so what they get is this sense of if you don't have something to put on the table and let other people look at, you can't critique their work, 
which sort of okay. limits the guy who comes there and and sits yes. back and pontificates, but has not written a yes. word. You know, right. we, you know, you make sure that people who are critiquing are open to critique themselves, but it's never destructive. I don't think Meredith, in the time we've been working together, have you heard anything that was the ego getting in the way and saying awful things? I haven't. Oh, absolutely not. This is a marvelous yeah. group yeah. because, as you said, yeah. they're all very creative themselves. And they're gentle with their suggestions, but very pointed and usually spot on. Well, that's a big deal. I'm right still there. thinking about your remarks. <laughs> right on I'm the money. About, <laughs> if yeah, you can I'm say something that's about... meaningful, you know, to those people, you're <laughs> really the cause of something. <laughs> and I, right, and I'm I'm thinking about Meredith. I can't get this over my head, out of my head, that you built a house, and you go, "Oh, I just built a house." <laughs> like, oh, you know, that is. What? How did you do that? Like, do you live in that house, or did you do all the drawings for it? Or oh, what, how did that a happen? Silly story. Well, you know, no, my okay. husband I'm... at the time and I, we were young and full of zeal. So we um, <laughs> had just come back from Australia, and we were we decided we would come partway back and live in Hawaii for a while. So we bought land in the middle of nowhere, and kind of moved into a shelter and started building. Good heavens, it took us seven years because we wanted to do it properly. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And so we would move move in bits at a time, and um, we had a lovely furo outside to bathe in, like a Japanese hot tub. And we we just made it our lifestyle for a while. And it turned out out really um, to be a, a very cool house. The people who bought it, added a bunch of glam to it and so <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know it was <laughs> but it had good bones and it was an adventure but you know, right. it was an adventure with me. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds well, you know what have you thought about writing have you ever thought about doing a book yourself or have you thought that into the future are you are, are you talking to me yeah have i thought yeah, have about you thought doing about doing a something book? Yeah, something oh, like about your travels, because you, I no. think you travel, too. Yes, that's true. You know what the first thing my writer papa t- told me? Don't be a writer. He said, yeah, more uh, than Well, that just stopped that, didn't years. it? Exactly. You know. <laughs> well, so well, sometimes, like, sometimes, okay. <laughs> but sometimes we hear that, and that doesn't mean anything. we got to let that pass. <laughs> we all sometimes say, what is happening? But, you know, I, I have words, this? but... I'm not you, you both of you have a way of taking words and making them into a story. And that sense of story, I don't think that's something I have. You know, how to like make it into a story, not just uh, rambling words. Yeah. Well, I, I doubt that that would happen to you because I don't think you would ramble. But I think that, you know, your artwork is so beautiful. Even if you thought of something with uh, children, you know, because they have beautifully illustrated books with just one or two lines, like even the alphabet. But the illustrate, you know, I am not an illustrator or an artist in any way, but those books usually are very beautiful. And kids do mm-hmm. like them, you know. Uh, and that might be something that just like A is for Apple and they have a gorgeous picture, you know what I mean? A photo or whatever, well, you, you know, digital. I would love to work with writers who can, like Jack does, make a yeah. story so interesting and intricate 
and um, gripping that I would be therefore inspired to make something pretty. Yeah. Well, I think you 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 are your artwork is beautiful. I mean, it does. It makes a difference. And I, you know, and you can see and the brightness and especially now, the way the world is. When you see bright colors, it's like, oh, this is cheerful. This is beautiful. This is something, you know. I. I have, this is a story that I, you know, this is such an interesting thing that happened to me. I remember when I wrote um, Sarah Lewis's story to life, when I would go there every day and we'd talk about this, uh, the first time I met her, I walked into her house and I went, oh, my God, it's like you're in Hollywood. She had flowers all over the place. Everything was so bright. And I said, you know, why do you, I mean, I said, I can't believe your house is like this. I had never walked in a house that was at that many flowers, and it was just, it wasn't that the decorate, it was just the flowers and everything. And she says, well, she says, for so many years, I never saw flowers. I didn't see anything bright. I didn't see anything cheerful. I felt like I needed to have this when I had my own home. And up until now, I never felt what she felt. But now, like if I go to the grocery store, I'm buying flowers all the time and I put them in all the rooms because I'm thinking like, I need this. And I, up until all these years later, did I get what she meant. When you are not able to do the things that you always did, sometimes something like flowers brings out the beauty of life and then you feel something. I didn't feel it until now. And now I get it, you know, which uh, I see why she did that because she never she was locked in a concentration camp. She didn't have a life. She lost a lot of people, and there she was in her own home then with flowers. And I just didn't think about beautiful. it until now. So I never thought, and now I understand it. You know of what she felt because I think yeah. that that's why your cover that you did for Maxine makes people feel like there's a hope out there and it's going to get better and it's going to be cheerful again. And we're going to be able to do the things like lay in a pool or go out and have these vacations that people wanted to take. You know, I'm not one for flying. Uh-huh. Anybody that's read my, anybody that read my book knows some scene where they don't like to fly, you know, but <laughs> uh, people can't do that now. And you can't go to a pool and just lay there and just relax. Like there's nothing to worry about. It, we can't no, have I, that now. So that cover, well, let, you let go, me, oh, let, look at this. It's beautiful. Let me beautiful. There and ask Meredith a question here, Meredith. Okay. When you look uh-huh. at some of those incredible images that you make, let me, and I, I don't know quite how to say it, so I'll just say it. How do you feel <laughs> when you look at them? I mean, does your mind disengage and you start to feel? Marsh is talking about feeling joy and happiness projected into the future with color. What do you feel when you, as an artist, confront one of your images like that that one of uniqueness, too? I mean, that in itself is a unique image. How do you feel, okay, when you look at that? Um, <clears throat> you probably, <clears throat> excuse me, you probably notice I don't really have a style. Each image has its own reality, and so I feel different toward differently toward different images but when I'm done when the image is complete and I have this thing of okay that's it I feel really happy and 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 satisfied like I've brought it into being 
It's like a baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well, okay. Let me, <laughs> let me continue that. Let me continue that thing. We all struggle with this. I know Marsha does. I do. All the writers on Third Sunday do. How do you know when it's finished? <laughs> Isn't that an interesting question? And it's just like, how? Do you, I mean, you know, don't you? Don't you know? You just know. Yeah. yeah. How do you describe that? Yeah. You just get that you feeling know. when you look at it that this well, is give it. Well, give it, it a shot. You know, how do you, how do you know when one of those <laughs> is finished? You said you feel this, you know. So how do you know it's finished? Well, see, but then you get to the point where one of the lovely parts of graphics is that it's never finished. So I okay. could elaborate on an image forever. What I have yeah. to do is okay. satisfy. You know, you get to a point where you go, okay, enough. It's more okay, okay enough okay. than it is. Okay. Well, because oh, right, I think, I think it's a good way to put it, though. I think it's good that you're saying that because it's true that it's never finished. And I think sometimes with a story, it's not finished either, even though you end it. Right. In your head, a, mu- a year later, like a month later, two months later, I, like I have a character in Virginia Temple that I haven't redone, and I haven't done the second part that I was wanting to do, but she's always in my head. I make notes, and I'm not done. And by doing this, all these years later, I actually know more about her than I did when I finished the book. So now, if I write it, there's so much more that I have to say about her that maybe I was wrong about something she did. You know what I mean? So um, uh-huh. I think that that's a good way to put it when you're saying that you're never finished. You're never finished, and maybe that could be true for well, a lot me, of authors. Let me just you're not add finished. two two things there that are kind of one may be apocryphal, the other is not. There's <laughs> a story that Albert Ryder, the painter, was never finished with his paintings, and. The story goes that somebody he knew walked into the museum, finds Ryder sitting on a stool in front of one of his paintings that's hanging on the wall in the museum, making changes to the canvas. Yeah. And, you know, nothing yeah. about that, you know. Yeah. Oh, and I the other it. one is that uh, one of my professors, uh, this is a Spanish course, uh, he had uh, translated El Estudiante de Salamanca, which is the Spanish version of the Faust tale. And he and I were talking. I read it. I read both versions. We were talking about it. And I said, how do you know it's finished? And he said, a translation is never finished. It's abandoned. Now, are we all Uh, talking about the same thing? uh, See, I think uh, we are. It's never finished. You just have to finally, Meredith, you said, well, enough's enough. You know, let it go. You have to abandon it. Right. Well, sometimes you do, right. Sometimes you let it go, but then sometimes you go back and... uh, so sometimes, like like if I'm writing and I'm done with my story, my problem is when I go back, I try to change this or that, and I know that's a problem for me. So sometimes I'm thinking to myself, wouldn't it be better if I just, like, finish the book and let the editor do it before I start screwing it up? And by changing the story that I originally thought and change it to something really what it's not. So I think yeah. authors do go through lots of different things that, you know, if you – and that's why sometimes when I – have people on and they do so many books I can't believe they could get through it. When I get an idea, I was I, which I have now for a children's book, so now it's starting out a whole different thing and I always think, oh, I can do this in a few weeks. And now I, that, that could be for me. Then it's two years later I go, oh, I'm done now because it just, it just <laughs> takes on so many levels that I, you well, know, that you know I'm not um, finished. 
we we discovered something, Marsh. I don't know if you and I talked about this. I think I know I've talked about it with Meredith. I came across an interview with Lee Krasner, a painter, mm-hmm. you know, pretty well known, and she was talking about the the creative aspects of old work. And what she meant by that was she gives an example. She was in her studio working, doing a bunch of drawings, paintings, whatever. And she looked at him, pulled back, and said, that's disgusting. Tore him up and threw him on the floor. Uh, a couple of days later, she walked in, and something in the corner of her eye you know, caught her attention. She looked at it, and it was a, one of the pieces she'd torn up. She says, wow, look at that. So what she did was go <laughs> back to the old work to discover the newness. Isn't that's that wonderful. something? So we're all yeah. talking well, about the same you know, process. I think that is true. You know, when I have a screenplay, I'm taking another a screenplay from a book. Let's, I'm writing a book about from a screenplay. And then I think I take the first original version, not any of my others, because my original version was really who the people were. Okay? So then when I, when I do that, and then I try to get to the, what I want now, but sometimes then when I'm writing lines about what, what my dialogue is, I look at the old one, and I go like, oh, my God, that's how she talked. Or he talks. So then I say, okay, now I got the character because now I remember who they really were, not who mm. they are not, you know. And um, yeah, see what Jack does. A, the one I thing about Jack, see, Jack, you know what you do, Jack? You bring out people's thoughts, and that is so wonderful for other authors, you know, like, yeah. and, and artists. You know, I'm sure Meredith has learned yeah, from you too. Absolutely. Also because what you bring to the table is what we need, and you don't even know you're giving it, but you are. You're getting us to a place that we needed to be, but if you didn't say it, we might not have thought it. That's right. So that's what, that's, that's right. He's done that for me more yeah. than once, so I totally relate yeah. to what you're saying. See, right. See, that's that's really important, and I think when people listen to this show, I think, you know, because so much, like someone will finish a book, they go, okay, I'm done. Well, they're not done. They have to do the cover. They have to really go and do the description. They have to do the hard work. <laughs> the story was like nothing. Sometimes until uh, you do all the things that get that book on the market so people will want to read the book. Mm-hmm. Well, hard. I think I think you're, you're understating the case, Marcia. <laughs> you know, when I look <laughs> at the amount of hair that I've pulled out and thrown on the floor writing some of these books, you know, I think, wow, this is hard, hard, you know. You know what I well, think is attributed hard. to Moliere? No, no. He's no, lying on his deathbed, and he says. I don't think it's hard. I mean, when you're selling it, I mean, it's not, it's very hard writing it, but it's really hard to get it on the market and sold yeah, to make exactly, other people exactly. want to read what you wrote and why. <laughs> why do they want to read it, you know? And that's the thing, why? And sometimes people are in... Fan, you know, they're fans of people now, and they're fan clubs, whatever they do in books. But some of them don't even read all their books. They just like the person. They don't read the books. They say, oh, this is a great book. This is, And they don't even read some of their books. So, you know, so then the author just thinks they're doing great. And then people are just you know, writing the same story over and over again because they think, oh, well, everybody loves my work. It's wonderful. Interesting. <laughs> Yeah. Well, well there some I've been doing I've been writing. doing shows for over ten years. I've been doing shows for ten years. I've met so many. I, I that's what I love about this. I've met people I never would have met, and even though they're not knowing it, 
they've helped me along the way learn a different type. I've learned so many things from the people I've met, and they're not even realizing they've taught me this. But they have because you have to listen to what they're saying. And it helps. Mm-hmm. It does. I think it does a lot. Well, you know, one Jack, of the, you one of the, let's go back to the hard things about being a writer. One of the hard things is finding someone who you trust and then listening to what they say, you know, what you yeah. just said. You know, if you can't listen, how can you possibly get into the world of stuff around you? You know, if you're locked in your own little, I call it, ego sphere, you know, you don't reach out. There's no way to get in. There's no way to get yeah. out. And and I know this for a fact, that if you cannot speak the words on the page in your book, your reader will never be able to get them inside his or her head. And our yeah. goal as writers, essentially, is to plant the story in the reader's head, right? Get mm-hmm. inside them. That's what they yeah. mean by a page turner. You know, you're, yeah. you're so inside their head that they can't stop reading to find out what comes next. What's wrong? And that's yeah. unique. That's, I think that's unique for writers because painters, you look at it and you can choose not to look at it, but once you've seen it, you can't choose to unsee it. You know, because your brain right, doesn't you see it. Right. right. Yes. Yeah. But mm-hmm. words are totally it's different. A, a, totally different. Yeah. You know. Yeah, well, and we change them a lot, you know, and we do change them a lot, you know, and that's yeah. why we have editors. So, you know, when people are listening to the show, all of this applies to authors and artists because it's what you see, you know, and, uh, you know, I've had several people that have been on the show that have done their own cover- covers and their artists, you know, and their covers are different than the stock covers. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I think for for you, Meredith, I think this is um, opening up a whole new lifestyle for you of reading people's books that you may never have read because you're going to be doing their covers. And so well, you'll I'd be like learning a lot. Yeah. Well, you well will because be. really reading, I love reading. I read all the time. So my appreciation for the written word couldn't be yeah. any stronger. And and yeah. as you said, a cover is sort of the first impression and you only get yeah. one chance to make that first impression. So it's some um, it's an exciting potential. And this applies to even when people are writing like a romantic comedy. I know that when I wrote, you know, um It's Never Too Late for Love, uh I added a dog, which I had it as a screenplay and I added a dog and everybody said, You cannot put this dog on the cover. I go, I can put the dog on the cover because the dog <laughs> is the story in my head. And every so many people go, You're not gonna be able to do this. Well, anyway, that is the one thing that people liked about the book is the dog. Okay. So uh, I think I was right. And people did not because I felt the dog had, the dog talked and the dog had a lot to say. And the dog to me was really a focus. So I said, let's just do this dog. So the illustrator took a picture and then he made the illustration. And it, and it, that is the character that people liked. So in other words, sometimes publishers will go like or people will say what are you doing this on the cover but it's the author also knows what they feel and who's yeah. the important part of that story and can that story be made without that character that's also something well that's you know. the fun part of the collaboration between an artist yeah. and a writer isn't it yeah yeah because you and jack well, have that, you know and that's, Meredith, that's you, you you mentioned that you 
are from a family of artists. Uh, is it, can you do you want to talk about that a little bit about who your father was? I mean, oh, well, my father was Wirt Williams, and um, Wirt, which comes from a Wirt, Wirt uh, wrote several novels and was nominated <clears throat> for three Pulitzers. And wow, I, you know, I, I was very, very, and still am, very proud to be his daughter. And it, as I said, it, I watched him go out every day, no matter what, and spend several hours writing. And he was also a yeah. professor at Cal State LA teaching writing. But, you know, oh. I watched this. I, I felt the intensity of it, some kind of osmosis, you know, about <laughs> the yeah. importance yeah. of the Well, yeah, no, words. I think people, like what Jack said, a lot of times people think, oh, you write a book and it should be automatically published and it's going to be wonderful. And that's not true. It's really hard. We do go... And you know, you said he went out. Did he go? Did he go to places to write? Like a lot of people, that's a problem for a lot of writers now. A lot of people write in coffee shops, and they can't do that now. And that's uh, an issue for a lot of writers. Well, you know, Meredith, what I meant by out was he would always wherever we lived, yeah. he would build himself a little um, cubby. Like one was in the garage, one was next to a garage. Wow. He would wall it out. Wow. He would install a giant fan for white noise. No windows were yeah. allowed, and he would just go wow. into this cocoon. Wow! So, do you see that? Do you see that as a, as a the, that is discipline? I mean, when a writer does that, yeah, exactly. goes to those yeah. extent too. We're talking discipline, right? And so many yes. artists today let it just happen. I mean, I go back. Picasso could draw. Monet could draw. Rodin could draw, you know, Jackson Bur- Jackson Pollock could draw too, but then they used that to extrapolate into a later style. But you have to have that early discipline shaping yeah. in the way your muscles yeah. and your brain. Yeah. Uh, am I off on that? Uh, is that what, what do you see there? Well, you're completely there correct. Is. And I know that you have yeah. the same thing because I watch when we have our meetings, every word. You, every word of your book <laughs> has been polished. Every phrase has yeah. been perfected. Yeah. yeah, yeah, It's incredible. That is that, incredible. It is Jack. And Jack really, because Jack can get, Jack can describe a scene like nobody else. I mean, and that's actually how I met that's him. True. He, he was on another radio show, and what they did was they had, um, he had them at people that were listening to the show, you know talk about images and he would talk about close your eyes and he would say look across the street and what do you see and you know that was what that's oh. how I met him and that is what mm-hmm. a lot of people will remember him doing because that is what was so unique is that that mm-hmm. you know he did that on the show and people that was you know many years ago but it writing hasn't changed for people <laughs> you know we could you know things change in life but writing is writing yeah, yeah, same yeah. as artists. We are who we are. The image is the image, do. and the action is the yeah, action, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> All right, well, I think, you know, yeah, I think this has been a great show. It's been an hour. We're up, and um, Meredith, tell everybody what your goal is now, and if you'd like to do covers, you know, how would they reach you? Or if you just want to well, let them reach me, question. and I can... Okay. Perhaps, I, yes, perhaps just emailing me would work. And okay. I could give right. you my email address on on your on your website. So, uh, you know, right, and people can write. And you know, uh, 
I, I would suggest if you want to do book covers, I would be more than happy if you make some kind of little banner out and I will put it out on Facebook and different places that you're going to do covers. Oh, thank you so much, Marsha. I would appreciate yeah, I'll that. I'll be happy to do um, that. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's on my yeah. to-do list. And then list that's right how they thing. can reach you. And then that's how you could reach you. And you'll put your email address like on it, and then they'll just reach you. Because sometimes they, you know, would rather idea. just right. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, you can, and Jack. <laughs> yes, I have. Yes, I have. <laughs> In my mind, also. Yes, I have. Jack. Yeah. How they reach you? We know how to. Marsha, I'm There's a lot. You have a, you're, oh, yeah. What? I'm. I'm. You know. Anybody who wants to can just Google Jack Remick at Gmail or JackRemick.com, and all my stuff is there. Or BloodTheNovel.com. That's another website that I use. And if they're really in oh. dire straits, then they can <laughs> Google Bob and Jack's Writing Blog.com. And that's that a good place to go. That yeah, that's a that's the place where everything I know is is written down. And if they want to yeah. contact me personally, I'm Jack Remick dot uh, excuse me, Jack Remick at gmail dot com or Facebook. Okay. You know. so, and anybody could okay. reach me at you know MarshaCasperCook dot com or you know on my Facebook page. You know, I I think these shows are you know so much fun for people. And you know, even if times are bad, I think authors, artists, they need to keep in touch with the world and keep and talk to each other. And because we all, in a lot of ways, we're similar. You know, it doesn't matter where we live; we have thoughts that are very similar. But at the end of the show, I thank you, everybody. But my last words are: please wear masks, and then we can continue on with the shows. And you know, people will not be getting us. You know, we have a lot to do. Right, Jack? Okay. Well, Marcia, thank you very much for having me on. And oh, you're welcome. Meredith, it's been great. And as you oh, know, Marcia, we've got a so new much. friendship. Thank you. Oh, it's great. You know, and uh, well, I wanted to thank, you know, really just, you know, Jack, you've introduced me to great people that I really am in contact with after the show. So uh, some of my, like I started to say, some of my good friends are on Facebook from Jack, and we continue to be friends on Facebook. So thank you, Jack, for that. And Meredith, I hope you'll come on again. Oh, thanks so much for inviting me. Oh, you're welcome. And okay, everybody, take care. Yes. Okay. Thank you all. Have a good night. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.